Thanksgiving is a holiday for people to gather with family and friends, but for two men, it was the last day of their lives. After catching the perpetrators red-handed, police were sure they had a guaranteed conviction, but loophole after loophole ensured the killers were acquitted. Finally, a federal judge found a loophole of his own and managed to put the criminals behind bars for something other than murder. This week's episode is The Thanksgiving Day Murders. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Yeah, we thought, what better way to celebrate Thanksgiving than with some murders that happened on Thanksgiving back in the the 90s. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Happened in Maine. Beautiful state of Maine. And all the great reporting is from the Banger Daily News from a reporter named Sharon Mack. But she knocked it out of the park with her reporting. uh, And all of it's on uh, the internet now in the archives. So this was an old school digging. Like I felt like I was the microfiche at the library. I haven't read um, a newspaper, well, an actual newspaper in a long time, but an online newspaper and even longer. And I had to do a lot of zooming. Yeah, that's it's been so long that my glasses prescriptions changed and I could not (laughs) read the fine print like I once could. But God bless the newspapers. They got us through this one. Mm hmm. Well, let's get into it. Born in 1972 in central Maine, Hubert Hartley was raised primarily by his mother after his father passed away when Hartley was 12 years old. A Boy Scout, his sister described him to the Banger Daily News as a very shy, very sensitive person who has never been in trouble. As a teenager, Hartley dropped out of high school in the 11th grade to work various outdoor jobs, including in local chicken barns. At six years old, Hartley had met a neighborhood boy named Morris Buddy Martin. The two became fast friends, even kept in touch after Martin moved away. Eventually, the friends reconnected at the Clinton Fair in September of 1990. The two made an interesting-looking pair. Hartley was tall, blonde, athletic, and weighed 190 pounds. Barely 5'4", Martin was dwarfed by Hartley's six-foot frame. However, like Hartley... Martin was also muscular, having worked in manual labor for most of his young life. According to the Banger Daily News, Martin liked women and beer. In fact, he was due in court on November 27, 1990, on charges of drunk driving. Sadly, he wouldn't live to see that day. We've kind of an all-American guy, mm-hmm. you know, working in chicken barns. He's got his literal buddy named Buddy. Yeah. Uh, just palling around town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, likes women and beer. You know, can't you can't fault him for that. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of people like women and beer. I like women and beer. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> I like men and beer. I like people and beer. I Some like, people I I'll tell you like. what has been a um, a real just F you from the universe. This pregnancy what? is I haven't oh, no. craved anything more than I have craved the taste of alcohol. <laughs> Oh, wow. Just general or like Miller Lite specifically? Specifically, no. Honestly, I will go through beers. The other day I was like, 
I would give my kingdom for a Bloody Mary. Wow. Or like a margarita. It'll be very specific drinks. And I don't even, even before I got pregnant, I didn't really drink that much. But I'll tell you what, maybe it's just the stress of everything, but I am going to have some cocktails after so, yeah i might pop it pop them out and pop a bottle like <laughs> done and done just, can you not just drink like bloody mary mix or something to kind of get the i probably you would could know. yeah or well honestly it will destroy me because my heartburn. yeah oh god the heartburn is so bad so anything acidic uh kills me but yeah because I, I was craving like v8 i love v8 paris loves v8 oh my god, i don't like tomatoes so good you don't like it, tomatoes in any form not really. I'll eat uh, like pico and salsa and ketchup and stuff, but a tomato, on, sometimes a grape tomato, if it's like fresh and popping, you know, when it goes pop, like a good grape yeah. tomato for the most part, like on a hamburger, hell no. But no you tomatoes. like tomato sauce. Yeah, for sure. So you like tomatoes. You just don't like, I don't like tomatoes the, on I don't hamburger. like a fresh tomato. Like I don't like, like a slice. We have, we've been trying to make Ella understand that the tom- she loves fresh tomatoes and cherry mm-hmm. tomatoes. We have to get her to understand that like sauce and spaghetti is also made from tomatoes. So y'all She's are the not opposite. Into it. Y'all are the polar opposites there. Well, can, she can have my tomatoes and I'll take her sauce. I love V8 though and tomato juice. So yeah, maybe I should just drink some tomato juice and pretend like there's vodka in it. <laughs> Trick yourself. <laughs> As the men began to hang out more, talks of becoming roommates came up. 21-year-old Martin had been living in his car after a bad breakup, and Hartley and his 18-year-old girlfriend, Tammy Terrialt, were also looking for a place. With Tammy three months pregnant with their first biological child, the couple welcomed the idea of help with rent. Tammy also had another child, Megan, from a previous relationship. At nearly two years old, Hartley thought the world of the young girl and considered her to be his own flesh and blood. In November of 1990, Hartley, Martin, Terrialt, and Megan all moved in together. The two men had found a modest farmhouse for rent in Fairfield, Maine. Well, I mean, it's not such a bad idea. You're in your 20s. You got to split the rent, figure something out. Very common. Yep. Better than living in your car, bless his heart. That's, That's true. terrible. That is true. Small and set back from the main road, the farmhouse was older but in fairly good condition. It had two bedrooms, a kitchen, a living room, and a dirt-floored cellar. For the previous 20 years, owner Marilyn Meyerhans had only rented to migrant laborers who came to harvest the orchards during apple season. However, Hartley and Martin agreed to put down a $100 deposit and pay $60 a week for the accommodations, a deal to which Meyerhans agreed. Yeah, what do you care if it's uh, apple pickers or, you Mm -hmm. know, teenagers? That's some cheap-ass rent for a, a house in Maine. I'm not familiar with Fairfield, but... I've been to Maine once. It was beautiful. Jealous. Just for a few hours. We drove there from somewhere else. But we really want, it's on our bucket list to do, a drive up there and do like a whole Stephen King tour of everything. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. Go, my, a friend of mine lives up there in the summers. And man, it's just year round. I, would, I just wouldn't leave. Oh, yeah. My brother's girlfriend lives on, or she's from a small island up there. And it is a beautiful. Within a week, the house had its first visitor. Hartley's half-brother, 28-year-old Henry Lombard, had come to visit from Massachusetts. While Hartley and Lombard shared a mother, that was about all they had in common. Lombard was a convicted felon. Hartley had never even been arrested. Now, on November 15, 1990, 
Lombard had arrived on his doorstep with plans to stay for two years, waiting for his wife to be released from a local jail, according to the Banger Daily News. Well, that's romantic. <laughs> that's a lot to ask of someone that you just show, there's not even a phone call. You just Mm-mm. show up on somebody's door, you're like, by the way, Mm-mm. two years <laughs> is what I, it's not, <laughs> that is, uh, that's more than a pop-in. Do you think, do you think that he set it up like, hey, I'm just going to stay until she gets out of jail, and then they had to ask the sentence, <laughs> or he sounds like the kind of guy that he said, I'm going to be here two years. I think he, yeah, he didn't sound like he gives two shits about offending anybody or Mm-mm. really, uh, yeah, he's not Mr. Manners. Immediately, Lombard made himself at home, kicking Martin out of his bedroom and forcing him to sleep on the couch downstairs. Those close to him accused Lombard of having a temper and a drinking problem. In later testimony, Phyllis Lombard would say her son was unpredictable. Hartley added to this, saying his half-brother became violent and abusive when he drank. Poor buddy's gotta sleep on the couch. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh... Well, he's 10 years older, or not quite 10 years, 28 and 21. So you got someone a bit older. But if you come in aggressive and assertive and you have a reputation for being violent and and drinking a lot and stuff, and you're a a 5'4 dude, you find yourself sleeping on the couch downstairs pretty quick. And probably begrudgingly. I mean, that's that's not the recipe for a a blossoming new friendship. But if someone came and kicked your ass out of your room, you're... For two years? For two weeks, that's one thing. But you're like, "What? I'm sorry, for two years I'm now sleeping on this couch? And I still have to pay the rent. Yeah, no. Something isn't, uh, this doesn't seem right. Two days before Thanksgiving, 18-year-old Paul Lindsay came by the house to visit Martin. The two were longtime friends and planned on doing some hunting together. The following day, Lindsay, Martin, and Hartley all went into town to pick up supplies for the upcoming holiday. Lombard had stayed behind, preferring to get some rest before their big hunt the next morning. While in town, the men visited the local A&P, where Martin cashed his paycheck for $160. He then bought a 12-pack of beer and a ham, while Lindsay stole a beef tenderloin. When the men arrived back at the farmhouse, they ate dinner before going to bed, Paul Lindsay taking the black couch and Buddy Martin taking the tan. Lindsay slept in his clothes, which included long johns, a black shirt, and white socks. Martin wore only his white briefs. On Friday, November 23rd, the day after Thanksgiving, a hunter in the woods near the farmhouse found a blood-soaked blue afghan and called police. When officers arrived, they found four additional garbage bags nearby, full of bloody evidence, including tan and black couch cushions, a green t-shirt, black socks, and white underwear. Trash bags of deer parts were also found, causing initial uncertainty as to what kind of blood was everywhere. Yeah, that is uh, grisly. That's a scene scene that you don't want to roll up on. Yeah. And then also confusing, you're like, do these people kill a deer on their couch and dress it in in, In clothes? In clothes or what's happening here? Or did they get blood all over their clothes and throw it away? Yeah, there was a... There was a lot of, uh, and it wasn't ever clear if the deer parts were even related to the other trash bags. Yeah, it was, it's like a big mess, I, a big People were just mess. dumping trash bags full of bloody stuff out in this field. He's like, this is a field, goddammit, respected. <laughs> <laughs> this is not your dumping ground no. for your old couch cushions. Two days later, 
while responding to an unrelated domestic disturbance call. Officers heard a rumor about four men from a nearby cabin going hunting, but only two men returning. When their source mentioned a green shirt, police began to connect the dots. Then they had the cabin owner, Marilyn Meyerhans, come to the station and identify the bloody items that were found. Once she confirmed they were furnishings from her farmhouse, an APB was put out for Hartley and Lombard's arrest. Yeah, you're probably not happy as the landlord knowing, because you see the couch cushions and you go, oh God, what's the rest <laughs> of the house look like? You don't, yeah. I mean, because you, you only know su- at least a deer has been slaughtered in your house. <laughs> at the very at least. Worse, there's a multiple homicide. Right. And also, as someone who had never rented outside of these uh, migrant laborers that would come, I'm sure you're like, well, shit, 20 years, I hold out, and this is what I get. The one time I mm-hmm. break my own rule. It's also, so there's a lot of, as we'll see, conflicting and contradictory things of what really happened. Mm-hmm. And the people that are neighbors adjacent to this farmhouse that get the cops over there, they're saying four guys went hunting. But as we'll see, only two of them really went hunting. And the others, and the Martin and Lindsay were asleep on the couch when they end up getting killed. So it's, I'm like, where did somebody decide that four people had gone hunting in this story? And uh, yeah, the lady said, oh, they were all hanging out over at that farmhouse and nobody's seen the other two. So then, and basically the cops at first were like, whatever, it's a bunch of, like, it's just rumors. It's like town rumors. And then she said, yeah, and that one guy in the green shirt. And they kind of went, huh. Green shirt. Maybe mm-hmm. we should check into this. There's a couple of instances in this where someone says something that gets a little disregarded until someone stops and says, wait, 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 let, let's go look into mm-hmm. this. Because if they had just said, oh, it was, you know, I heard about some farm guys, whatever, they may have just disregarded it and not been on the lookout for these two. On Monday, November 26th, police obtained a search warrant and searched the farmhouse. They found 100 pieces of evidence, pools of blood, and a trail of blood leading to the basement. While out patrolling, another officer spotted an additional bag of bloody clothes and items, including Buddy Martin's driver's license, according to the Daily News. As more detectives arrived on the scene to collect newfound evidence, a plane flew overhead, attempting to locate the bodies. Yeah, one of the articles is very fascinating that Sharon Mack was like hearing radio traffic that there was stuff found and it was it related to the previous stuff found. And she just ran out there and started listening to the radio and then just... Standing there watching them dig through stuff. There was a ton of stuff. There were bloody sweatpants in the trees. There were couch cushions just thrown about. We'll see that um, these men weren't the suavest of criminals when it came to disposing of of evidence. Mm -mm. With the trove of bloody evidence and warrants out for their arrest, police were desperate to locate Lombard and Hartley. Then, in the early evening of November 26th, the two men were spotted driving around town by Sergeant Wallace Coburn. They were arrested and taken to the Augusta Police Station, where they were separately interrogated for several hours. So this sounds like a slam dunk. You would think. Yeah. Over the course of Hartley's interrogation, he asked for an attorney to be present eight times. His requests were repeatedly ignored, and the questioning continued. Later, this would cause his interrogation to be inadmissible evidence at trial, even though he admitted during his arrest that he killed Buddy Martin by beating him to death for hitting on his girlfriend, Tammy. Hartley also confessed that his half-brother, Lombard, killed Paul Lindsay. Neither of these confessions would be heard by Hartley's jury. 
just, I mean, bungled police here, 101. Here we go from the from the jump. It's like you dipshits. What <laughs> right away? We uh one one fun thing we did this weekend was we were yes. we got to participate in podcast row at the virtual crime con house arrest. We had a ton of fun. Thank mm-hmm. you, everyone. That's another big thank you. Thank you to everyone that came to that and came to all of our sessions and our live session. We had a ton of fun doing a live wheel. And uh, one of the speakers that you and I both watched virtually mm-hmm. was the detective, and it showed an interrogation that was happening where he got a a uh, murderer to confess. It was a crime in Houston. But and in that confession or in that interrogation, he hints at wanting a lawyer, but he doesn't really say full out, I'm not going to answer any more questions until a lawyer is present. Or even, I want a lawyer. He said, man, I, I sure would like a lawyer. I no, wish said, I had a lawyer. I wish I had a lawyer. Not the same now, thing as I would like a which lawyer. Which you would think it is. And it, and for the, just FYI, as Heather always says, do not talk to the police unless you have a lawyer and demand to have a lawyer. Say, I'm not answering any questions until a lawyer is present. Be very clear about it. Mm-hmm. But this guy straight up says eight times yeah i want a lawyer present and they don't give a shit and they keep asking him questions and different than the one on at crime con was a non-custodial investigate or interrogation he brought the guy in and said you can leave anytime you want right. i just want to talk to you that's a trap uh yeah. <laughs> ask for a lawyer also, and the say- guy asks at one point he's like so i can leave and he's like yeah and he's like okay i want to go and the detective's like well hang on a second can we get a DNA swab from you first? It's like, oh, so you can't really leave, can <laughs> you? And also the cop is sitting between the perpetrator and the door. Yeah. Uh, but this was a custodial interrogation where he was arrested, presumably Mirandized of you have the right to remain silent, you have the right to an attorney, and he asked for one, and you're like, eight immediately times supposed he asked to stop. for one. Yeah, and I'm imagining if it was eight different times, it wasn't, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool if a lawyer was here? It was, <laughs> I want a lawyer, I want a lawyer. Yeah, probably in a row. I want a lawyer. Yeah. I want a lawyer, you know, just like over yeah. and over. At the same time, when you say, I want a lawyer, and they're not giving you one, just shut your mouth. Yeah. Don't well, talk anymore. The thing is, it's like, you know, you watch an interrogation, and they're needling somebody, yeah. and they're poking at him and trying to get him. Well, can't you just tell me what happened? I can help you. Let, let me yeah. help you. And that's one thing we talked about. When we were talking it uh, to our people on CrimeCon, too, after watching that, is I was saying interrogations are really hard for me to watch because even though, and I, the, the guy in the one we saw at CrimeCon 100% had killed this woman. So you can't really have a lot of sympathy for him. It's hard to. But it is also hard to watch the police intentionally manipulate this person into mm-hmm. saying what you want them to say and and they, I mean, and I'm not, this isn't speculation. The cop straight up in his, uh, going back and forth in the interrogation to like, well, here's why I did this. Says like, one of our tactics is to be friendly and try and befriend them and talk to them like, you know, we're peers and ask their first name and get in, you know, so they, they trust us and stuff. So yes, that's their job. It's also uncomfortable to watch someone be manipulated into admitting something because they think that it's going to help them when really, uh, no, that's what gets your ass thrown in jail. As, well, as it have... should have in this case. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the, what nailed it was the DNA that they got from him willingly. 
um, we had this whole, Paris and I have been watching that Drugs Incorporated and having conversations about when people are arrested on that show and like what can be used as evidence and what can't. And I'm, listen, man, I'm all for appreciate what law enforcement does, but I swore an oath to protect and uphold the Constitution. And if you, you're entitled to a lawyer under a Constitution, mm-hmm. you're entitled to these things. And in this case, uh, Hartley, for whatever he committed, it sounds like he beat his buddy to death, uh, was entitled to a lawyer and the interrogation should have stopped. Mm-hmm. And you see the horrible circu- the horrible consequences when you ignore that request. Yes. And then you think you're doing a good thing because you're, you know, you're really trying to get the suspect to tell you everything you want to hear. But in so doing, you fucked up. So then it got thrown out and then we'll see it didn't go so well. No, no. After being questioned for nearly an hour, Lombard had seemingly had enough and agreed to give a complete statement provided an attorney was present. While the detective did halt questioning in his case, an attorney was never called, so Lombard never gave a confession to the crimes. Well, they stopped questioning there. That's good. They did not call an attorney for him, though. (laughs) A little lack of follow-up? Yeah. Meanwhile, Tammy Terriall was being questioned in a separate room after being picked up at a local motel where she and her young daughter Megan had been hiding out. Eventually, the 18-year-old told police that both men were guilty, each having shot one of the victims at point-blank range. And with that, Henry Lombard and Hubert Hartley were both arrested on two counts of first-degree murder. Well, that's uh, that's all you need is a third witness that's willing to tell you what happened. Yep. Or uh, is she a reliable <laughs> witness? Well, here. Sinister Hood will be right back. The men were taken to the Kennebec County Jail, where they were placed in adjoining cells, a move that would prove advantageous for the criminals. Side by side, the half-brothers communicated with each other via past notes through their cell windows. They devised a plan where Hartley would blame his murderous rage on a brain tumor that had supposedly been caused by a childhood head injury. However, while the half-brothers appeared to one another that they were on the same page with their stories, behind closed doors, both men had told their attorneys that the other one was responsible for the heinous crime. There's no honor among criminals. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, you, uh, but it shows that they both had the same idea. Like, I'm going to lie to your face and then blame it on you (laughs) to my own attorney. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine, it's a, it's like almost with the Sunjin game where there's there's such a lack of foresight that he's like, well, tell him I have a brain tumor. You don't think they're going to scan your head? He thought that it would really sell it because as a child, one of their other brothers had hit him in the head with a claw hammer and it got, <laughs> yeah, it had got stuck in his head. So he's like, no, they'll buy it. But I'm no doctor. I don't Mm-mm. think that causes a brain tumor, perhaps, but maybe he thought because there was like a scar on his head oh, or he a could bump use it. or something. But again, like a doctor and a psychologist and stuff are going to check that out and very quickly realize that, no, he doesn't have a brain tumor. He's just a murderer. Do you remember who else got hit with, in the head with a cloth? Aaron, H- Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, that's right. That's what made mm-hmm. me think of that, man. So maybe there is something to be said for, I mean, and we talk about that a ton and the Hernandez episodes of head injuries being 
directly tied to violent outbursts and behavior changes and things like that. So Mm -hmm. it may have contributed to him being capable of doing what he did. In the months leading up to the trials, the prosecution began to lean more towards Lombard being the main suspect. He had an impressive rap sheet and had tried to escape from jail several times while awaiting his day in court. Hartley, on the other hand, was a model prisoner and had never been arrested in his life. In later testimony, Detective Fippen would even say that on the night of the arrest, he decided that Lombard was the trigger man, while Hartley was merely a witness, according to the Banger Daily News. Ultimately, this good brother-bad brother routine would be what both sides used in their client's defense. It's a dangerous game to decide the outcome and then try to mash the evidence into yeah. fit. Also, that detective is the same one that refused um, to get an attorney and kept questioning him. Oh, super duper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> detective Fippen, uh, I don't know where you are today, but I hope if you're still in the force, some things have changed. Did you a little training, do a yeah. little update training. Mm-hmm. During his week-long trial in December of 1991, Hartley testified that it was Lombard who pulled the trigger. According to the Daily News, Hartley said that on the walk back from their Thanksgiving morning hunt, Lombard seemed angry and said the two victims were easy enough to take care of. He did not provide a motive. This is where you see it emerge. This, mm-hmm. there's, when we were first researching this, I just left Christy a note in my notes that said no, no singular story of what happened. No, and really, no, no one ever provide. well, a little bit provides a motive, but it's... It's just, they're easy enough to take care of, dot, dot, dot. Why? Why? What does that mean? What did they do? They're at home sleeping. You kicked this dude out of his bed. Yeah, and he didn't even fight you. (laughs) When they arrived back in the cabin, Hartley testified he turned his back to make a cup of coffee when he heard a strange sound. Lombard had shot Paul Lindsay. Hartley claimed he then watched as Lombard turn the gun on Buddy Martin. According to the Daily News, Hartley asked, what the hell is happening? That's when Lombard told him, You didn't see nothing. It could just as easy happen to you. Remember Tammy and the baby upstairs. Hartley testified he only helped move the bodies to the cellar because, I felt I could die. I was frightened. I wanted to run, but I thought about Tammy and the baby upstairs. Hartley also called Lombard, Very violent and very unpredictable. Because Hartley's earlier confession to the murders had been deemed inadmissible, The jury only heard this new version of his story. The 70 pages of transcripts and four tape recordings were hardly admitted in his own words he was guilty were never seen nor heard. When Detective Fippen, the detective who questioned Hartley the night of the arrest, was asked on the stand why he continued the interrogation despite Hartley asking for an attorney, Fippen said, I was really involved in this interview. I had asked hundreds of questions that night. I felt he was still willing to talk. Yeah, okay, that's cool, but you can't keep going. Sorry. He, willing to talk, that's great. But you, you know that, I, I don't understand if he thought, if he forgot that, oh, this is going to be thrown out. If he fully knew I should be getting an attorney, but I'm not, and I'm just going to hope it doesn't come up and this is still, these tapes get ad- admitted, or what was going on there. Yeah, unless you were going to cut out the tape, mm-hmm. like literally cut the tape and tape it back together, the part where he said, I want a lawyer. Otherwise, he there's no 
I mean, I would be, this isn't like it was the 60s or 70s. Like the Miranda case was in the, I think came out in the mid 70s. So, I mean, this is not a new thing. The jurisprudence around the right to a trial or or the right to an attorney um, after, you know, while being questioned has been around a while. Mm -hmm. So this was the 90s. Like he should have known. And maybe he did and thought it wouldn't matter because there was so much evidence that he had killed them and he was admitting it. But <laughs> that is a blunder of epic proportions when you're trying yeah. to get somebody convicted. You ha- you're like, I fucking got it. He's admitted to all of this stuff. I got 70 pages of transcript, four tape recordings. You don't have anything. Yeah. Because you didn't uphold the law. It's like not having a warrant and kicking the door in and being like, oh, I got all this evidence from these murderers. Well, literally everything you found, if you didn't have a warrant, gets thrown out. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're wasting everyone's time and you don't get a do-over. Right. Yep. Tammy testified against Hartley on behalf of the state. She told jurors that when the men returned from hunting, her boyfriend had sent her upstairs, saying he had something to do. Tammy claimed she then heard Lombard say, If you don't shoot him, I'm going to shoot them both. Shots then rang out. After the shots, Tammy testified she heard Lombard say, I didn't think you had the guts to do it. To which Hartley replied, I showed you, didn't I? So she claims when she was first interrogated on the night the men were arrested, she said each man shot one of them. Now she's saying, no, my boyfriend is the one that was responsible for shooting both of them. Mm-hmm. In the trial against him. Yeah. Yeah. Which it it boggles the mind if they were going to, you know, set somebody up to lie. Wouldn't you say at Hartley's trial, oh, Lombard did it and vice versa? Yes. Yeah. It's it doesn't make sense how this all plays out. So, you know, I think she was also young, confused, scared. And you get a, a witness like that on the stand and I think they just freeze up. Or if they prep them in advance and say, yeah. This is the Hartley trial. We want to put him away. Tell him what the, what you saw. Tell him that you saw him do it. And she's like, okay, well, it'll make these people happy for me to testify. I'll just go ahead and say that. It is bizarre, though, that at, his, at her boyfriend's trial and the father of her baby, she wasn't saying, no, Lombard did it. Yeah. And she's she cried on the stand. Yeah. Because they said, oh, you know, why didn't you turn him in? And she's like, oh, I was so scared. but I lo- And I loved him. And they're like, loved him enough to lie? And she's like, well, no. So it's like she... It's confusing because if she really, she seemed, they, I think the article said the only time she cried on the stand was when they said, you know, do you love him and would you lie for mm-hmm, him? And she mm-hmm. said, no, I wouldn't. So, you know, why wouldn't you, if you were going to say, okay, I'm going to lie on the stand, wouldn't you just lie to help your boyfriend slash, the, unless she wanted him to go away? Who knows what what happened to their relationship after That's all true. this? And she had already changed her original story mm-hmm. that they each shot one of them. So yeah. why now are you saying like, no. Hartley's 100% the only one that did anything. And I did not see any, uh, like, aside from just what was reported in the papers, there's no, like, trial transcript. I would wonder why the defense attorney would not try to use her prior statements to police in order to impeach her on the stand and say, did you say, you know, we have this written transcript that you said this to the cops. Why are you changing your story all of a sudden? And at least try to poke a hole in her. Mm -hmm. And maybe he did, and that's why we had the outcome that we had. That's a good point. As reported by the Daily News, Tammy told the courtroom she then looked down through a broken board in the stairway and described the horrifying scenes she saw. I saw Paul's feet dangling off the couch in Buddy's head. There was blood coming out of Buddy's head. Henry hollered to Hubert, get a mop. 
Henry had a garbage bag and was bending Paul's feet, sticking him in. And then Paul was in the bag on the floor. So it's horrifying. Regard, I mean, yeah. whoever shot whoever, the two of them, like garbage, took the friends. It's, I mean, Hubert, or not Hubert, Lombard, you know, rolled into town and was kind of an ass to all these people. Mm-hmm. But Hubert Harley was like friends with these guys, mm-hmm. at least with Buddy. And yeah. to just go, man, stuff them in a bag. Yeah. And she said she hid in the stairway for two hours because she was just so scared. And that Megan, the 20-month-old little baby, mm-hmm. kept toddling down there and while they're trying to clean up the, the mess. And that the that twice the men would carry her back upstairs. So, I mean, so they knew Tammy was in the room. I mean, they knew she was around. Yeah, they didn't. Yes, yeah. But I think, as we'll see, I mean, they obviously trusted her with... Mm-hmm. knowing what had happened but i'm sure you you <laughs> you're 18 year old you're pregnant you got a little kid and you're watching your uh boyfriend and his brother just stuff dead bodies they just killed into a garbage bag you're terrified yeah you freeze yeah, yeah she froze and especially you're like i'll do anything it takes to protect the kid inside me and the kid next to mm-hmm. me sinisterhood will be right back Tammy went on to describe how Lombard and Hartley dragged the bodies of Paul Lindsay and Buddy Martin to the cellar before attempting to clean up all the blood with a mop. Prior to her family stopping by to celebrate Thanksgiving, Tammy testified she saw Lombard and Hartley move one of the bodies to the car. After the relatives left, the men moved the other body and all the bloody clothes and couch cushions to the car as well. The three, plus young Megan, then left the house to toss out the evidence. Tammy said she was dropped off at her parents before the bodies were disposed of. Tammy's mom and sister both testified at Hartley's trial. And the sister said when they got there, Lombard, or maybe Hartley, came down the stairs with a gun in his hand, loaded rifle, and just propped it up against the wall. First of all, you've got a 20-month-old walking around. Not a good idea. Mm -mm. And that at one point, the sun had gone down, and so Tammy got up to turn on the lights and Hartley quickly turned off the lights and wouldn't allow any lights to be left on because I'm sure there was still blood everywhere and, and stuff. Oh, so they're all just yeah. sitting in the dark, not <laughs> eating turkey, wondering like, well, this is weird as hell. And they were only there for like 45 minutes and then left. And then they got right back to it. It's probably a very strange vibe in the house. Yes. And also, you know, blood has a smell to it uh-huh. and everything, plus gunpowder and stuff. Yep. And Try then to keep him in the yard. Later, when you realize what had been going on, to know that you had been in there and all that was surrounding you is mm-hmm. very eerie. The state star witness wrapped up her testimony by saying she was terrified of both Lombard and Hartley, and that Hartley had been mad that Buddy Martin had been flirting with her. She also said under oath that she witnessed Lombard and Hartley dividing up the $160 in cash that had belonged to Buddy Martin. Details some believe may have been the motive. They even gave $1 to her daughter. Tammy said she went along with the plan and never called the police or questioned the men for fear of her and her daughter's life. So there, for as, however uh, trustworthy, not trustworthy, but reliable as a witness as she is, this is at least some kind of motive. Yeah. That it sounds like there was some jealousy maybe or some money motive. And maybe that's what they're easy enough to take care of is kill him for the money or Mm -hmm. they're easy enough to take care of because Hartley left out the part where he said, man, I really hate when he flirts with my girlfriend. It makes me mad. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if Lombard's been drinking and it's everyone says he's violent and and stuff, especially when he drinks, if he's got something in him and just wants some money and is just mm-hmm. angry, then they're just sitting ducks, basically. And he doesn't really know them or care about yeah. them. You know, he's not attached to them. No, he, they're just sleeping. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know what had happened. They were That's- they were dead before they even knew what happened to him. So you, you go hang out with your pal all day, go to the A&P, steal a beef tenderloin, go to sleep, and you think, man, tomorrow's going to be great. We're going to go hunting. Mm-hmm. And you just go to sleep totally calm and not and know, not knowing that you're never going to wake up. Mm-hmm. Man. Despite this testimony, Hartley was acquitted of the murders. In a television interview after the case, the assistant attorney general called Hubert Hartley's testimony about the shootings false. Because of these statements, a judge ruled that none of Hartley's testimony about the actual shootings would be admissible in the Lombard case. Law prohibits a state's attorney from putting a witness on the stand who the attorney believes will make untrue statements. With that ruling, Lombard jury was only to hear about the events before and after the shootings from Hartley, but not the actual shootings themselves. Yeah, it's another situation you done goofed. Because you have a person who's ready and willing to say... All the things. He was violent and unpredictable. You're, they're easy to take care of. You didn't see anything. You have a guy that's ready to say he was making coffee while the, the defendant did it. And because you went on TV and ran your mouth, you can't use any mm-hmm. of that. And he's acquitted because none of the tapes where he confesses to these murders and talks about how he did it are not allowed to be played to the jury. So they only hear him saying, I'm innocent. I was basically held as a prisoner by my violent half-brother for days mm-hmm. in my own house. And then I was forced to help him, like, clean up these heinous murders. That's all that the jury hears. Mm-hmm. And for and, and if you were a juror and you had that very uh, narrow frame of knowledge, mm-hmm. you would acquit him, too. That's reasonable doubt. Sure. There's no hard evidence that he pulled the trigger. Yeah, and even with Tammy's testimony... I guess it just she wasn't a strong enough witness for them to say, no, I, I we're going to put him behind bars. Mm-hmm. And like you said, perhaps the defense did poke holes and say, well, this contradicts what you said the night that we questioned you about how, he, you know, he killed one, but Lombard killed the other. And now you're saying Hartley did both. So they poke holes in her story, too. And she's just not credible. Well, and then they said, oh, you know, are you willing to lie for him? And she said no. But she also ha- was at the hotel by herself and didn't call the cops to mm-hmm. you know arrest them or what so i think that you lose even more credibility mm-hmm. that way of saying you had the opportunity to report it and you never did lombard was tried the next year in june of 1992 due to the publicity the trial was moved to a nearby town called bath while lombard had not testified at his half brother's trial hartley took the stand at lombard's trial telling the jury that on the morning of the murders lombard told him that he didn't have to take no shit from nobody Then, after the murders, Lombard threatened to kill Hartley and Terrialt if they did not stick to the plan to tell police that they had last seen the two victims on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Tammy also testified in Lombard's trial, giving the same story as she did at Hartley's, with one key change. Reporter Sharon Mack told Slate that at Lombard's trial, Tammy switched the name of the guilty party, now claiming... Lombard was, in fact, the trigger man. And again, if you're the juror, you don't know that she's doing the same song and dance she did before, but just changing the names. Would you, though? Because it's it's a year later. 
So you might be privy, unless that's one thing that would strike you from being a juror, mm-hmm. as to what the other trial consisted of. Well, and they moved it to a different city. That's true. They, I'm sure during jury selection, they're like, how many of you have heard about these murders that happened on Thanksgiving? And anybody that had heard about it or read mm-hmm. about it would have gotten stricken. So you, you really, that's the whole purpose of jury selection is to make sure you don't have somebody that's like, I followed every detail of whatever Sharon mm-hmm. Mac prints, I read it. And <laughs> you're about to get, you know, kicked off the jury if that's the case. Because sure. you know too much. That's true. It is wild, though, that she basically just went, yeah, I'll get up there and testify again and say the exact same thing, except now I'm just going to change it and he did it and not the other. Yeah. And I mean, I guess what if is you're she doing? The, on behalf of the state, you're like, well, she did a great job on the first trial. Try it again. But would you, as the prosecution, couldn't you say she said this exact same thing in the other trial? Now she's just changing who it is and, like, just miss her as a credible witness? Well, if you... Two things. Because the guy said, oh, I think Hartley is a liar and everything he said about the shootings was a lie. So that's proving that he has the thought, the feeling, the indication that Hartley's going to lie about the shooting. So that's why Hartley's testimony got booted. If you, as the prosecutor, say, hey, Tammy, we're going to try Lombard. Do you have anything to say? And she says, you know, I was really afraid of Hartley and so... You know, I, I'm going to tell what exactly what happened. And they don't have reason to believe that she's going to lie on the stand. You still put her on the stand. As long as you don't have reason to believe she's going to be untruthful, you put her up there. Do you think that they thought she was going to say once again that Hartley did it? No, because if she was going to say that, they would. I imagine if you're trying to prosecute Lombard, you would not want that testimony in. You don't want somebody that's going to go up and say the defendant didn't do it. The other guy that already got off is the one that did it. You wouldn't want that. So I'm a good lawyer doesn't ask a question they don't know the answer to. So I'm guessing they prepped her and knew what she was going to say beforehand. I mean, that's just good lawyering. Um, I hope and I would. There's no indication, no allegation that they told her to say it was Lombard or whatever. Whatever happened in the intervening year between Hartley's trial and Lombard's trial, who knows that she, you know, they broke up or she had a come to Jesus meeting or whatever and said, "Okay, I'm going to go tell the truth now. And for all that, you know, she may have they may have thought she was going to go up there and say, oh, he shot one and and Hartley shot the other. But I misspoke. I meant to say the defense would poke holes in her story, saying that. Yeah, uh, she was on trial a year ago and said the ex- that our client was completely innocent. So yeah. this is bullshit that she's up there now saying this. Yeah, and I think that um, for sure that would be on cross examination. Of have you ever testified in a criminal case before? Yes. Was it for the other defendant in this case? Yes. <laughs> did you flat out say that this guy didn't do it and the other defendant did? Yes. Yeah, that's imp- I would argue that's qu- Im- impeachment. You know, that's yeah. grounds for it's admissible because it would show that she's untruthful on the stand. You use it to impeach her. And that's why, yeah, I, from my research, I never saw that anything like that happened. Mm-mm. So it's and very bizarre. In trouble for like perjury or anything. Yeah. Lombard's attorney maintained that his client was in the bathroom when Hartley murdered the two men. And while Hartley's confession tapes were inadmissible in his own trial, The jury was allowed to hear them now. As the defense played the tapes, a hushed courtroom heard Hartley admit to beating Buddy Martin with his own fist. Until he stopped breathing. That Martin was mad at his friend for... Coming on to Tammy. And that ultimately... He had to die. So that is very damning evidence coming out of your own mouth that had it been admissible at his own 
trial, we may not have even had a second trial. I mean, well, because he did say that Lombard killed That's the true. other one. So we probably if, still would have had that, but this guy would have been in jail. Yeah, if you have, a, again, if you're the juror and you have this really narrow window into the evidence and the defense attorney says the evidence today will show you that poor Mr. Lombard's brother just went off on these two men and lost it and killed them. And I will play you a, a tape where he confesses mm-hmm. and you'll see that my client didn't do anything. I mean, that's so powerful. Yeah. It's a slam dunk. Oh, it's done and done. For the defense. For the defense, dunk. yes. With the damning tapes being admitted as evidence, conflicting testimony from Tammy, and Lombard's profession of innocence, the jury acquitted Henry Lombard on Monday, June 8, 1992. Victim Paul Lindsay Jr.'s father told the Banger Daily News, Two cold-blooded murderers are walking free on the street because the state didn't do its job properly. I gotta agree with him. Yeah, you have one, you know, like Eminem, you have one shot, one opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you blew, I mean, they blew it. They blew it. And as the father of one of these victims or the any of the family members, you're like, my God, this, we just got completely screwed. There's no justice. Our loved ones are coming back. And these guys are just outliving their lives now. And it's not like, oh, someone killed my family member and maybe mm-hmm. it was these two. It was absolutely yes. one of these two, and they were both in the room, and they're both culpable, and they're both acquitted. Yep, yep. So frustrating. Sinisterhood will be right back. In July of 1993, Henry Lombard and Hubert Hartley were tried together in a week-long trial on charges of federal conspiracy. Count one of the federal indictment charged Hartley and Lombard with a multi-part conspiracy with the following objectives. Unlawful possession of a firearm and ammunition. To cross state lines with intent to avoid prosecution or avoid giving testimony in a criminal proceeding. And the removal of evidence from the farmhouse in regards to Lombard's unlawful possession of a firearm and ammunition. Yeah, so they both got tied up on... Lombard wasn't allowed to have a gun because he was a felon. And then Hartley was helping him have a gun. And so they... the federal prosecutors very smartly tied it all together and it's one big bucket and both of you are going at the same time so there can't be a which way did he He go that way that way or he said he said in this case yeah exactly at the close of the government's case hartley pled guilty and was sentenced to the maximum five years in federal prison his lawyer told the banger daily news it's important to recognize that this is not an admission of any kind of complicity in those terrible killings but it is a recognition of some errors that he made at the time. Yeah, apparently his lawyer said, hey, let's sit through this and see how much evidence they have against you, and I'll let you know if it's a good idea or a bad idea to go ahead and plead out and try to get a a shorter sentence. And that's exactly what they did. It's always interesting to me, and I understand legally if if you're guilty at this, that doesn't necessarily mean you were guilty at another. But like any case like this, or like a civil and a criminal case, like with OJ. Mm-hmm. His criminal case, he's not guilty. His civil case, he's guilty as hell. It's like, then we all know he was guilty in the criminal case as well. It's just like with this too. Then you, if he's admitting to this and pleading out, he knows what he did. We all know what he yeah. did. It was all thrown out on technicalities. It's just so frustrating that... They'll hit him where the money, where it's, if it's money related, like in a civil Mm -hmm. trial or something like this. But 
what really you want is for them to be behind bars for the rest of their lives. And on the flip side, you want to have a criminal uh, justice system that requires the utmost burden of proof that there has to be beyond a reasonable doubt that you did it versus if you have to pay out a little money, that sucks. But a preponderance of the evidence or, you know, lower burdens of proof out there are for lower stakes things, except for uh, in federal sentencing. We'll see. It's a low burden of proof with a high stakes consequence. Lombard pled not guilty, but after just two hours of deliberation, a jury convicted him on both counts, according to the Daily News. At the time, Buddy Martin's father, Marty, told the Daily News. Three years and we finally get some justice. However, Lombard's father defended his son, saying, If the federal government wants you, the federal government gets you. It is some justice. It's probably not the justice they wanted, but it's something. They're criminally convicted on something related to your family member's murder. Yeah. I mean, they're being somewhat held accountable. It's just, and it, and especially with Hartley, he ad- admitted it, you know. Mm-hmm. A jury convicted one and the other one admitted it. So it maybe gives you a little bit of solace. But still, the murders, they were acquitted of the murders. That's the worst mm-hmm. possible outcome for a family member where you gut level know. It's just a slap in the face, yeah. Yeah. Because of his criminal background and because the underlying crime, premeditated murder, carried a life sentence, the judge could sentence Lombard from 15 years to life. The judge determined it was more likely than not that Lombard had committed the murders and used the murders as part of the sentencing. With that, Lombard was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Here's where I've got a lot of questions. (laughs) I thought you might. I was going to say, gut level, not knowing the law on it, does, does it seem fair or unfair? Does you think acquitted conduct sentencing, which is what this is, they use a conduct that you've been acquitted for in order to sentence you for a, po- a related charge, usually in a different jurisdiction. It, do you think it's fair? Do we like it? Some people were calling it like double jeopardy. It's totally not, but it's gut no, level. It feels knowing like it. very little about this part of the law, mm-hmm. my gut is no, it's not fair. Right? That's what I mean. You, the Supreme Court argues and or has the there's a big case called U.S. versus Watts that they they argue that it is fair because. Under sentencing guidelines, the courts have a very broad discretion to consider any kind of information. So how a person acts and behaves, even if it's something from a trial that you've been found not guilty of. The exact quote from the decision was including facts related to charges of which the defendant has been acquitted. So the Supreme Court has said this is constitutional. They also say that considering information about a, a person's character or the conduct that they use they're using the conduct to determine a sentence. They're not convicting you of that prior conduct. It's splitting hairs. Yeah, it <laughs> is. They're just saying, we're trying to decide your sentence for conspiracy to possess a weapon and leave town. And to decide that sentence, we're going to use the conduct from this other trial and we're going to use this evidence. Also, sentencing burden of proof is different than conviction burden of proof, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. So sentencing burden of proof is more likely than not. So it's super low. So if you go back and read any of the stuff from the Lombard, it's like more likely than not that. I mean, he, he did probably. Right. And probably Kill, like sufficient. Yeah. It's sure. Like sufficient. And so if you think it's more likely than not that he used this weapon to kill these people. OK, I'm going to take that to, into consideration and the other hair splitting that the Supreme Court does for this is they say an acquittal does not prove that a person is innocent. All it does is it says that there's reasonable doubt as to the question of their guilt. 
So these people were acquitted of this crime, not because they're innocent, but because the state bungled the case. Right. No, I totally get all that. It just seems, it seems not right that you uh, are taking into consideration something that they've already been tried for and already been found not guilty of, even though, did they do it? What ninety nine point nine a hundred percent yes one of yeah. them did it absolutely but it's kind of like why did we ever go through all of that if it didn't if the outcome didn't matter because in the end this other person who had nothing to do with that first trial is going to make the decision that no I think y'all fucked up that one and mm-hmm. I'm going to take that in consideration for this even though this isn't what we're even discussing today. These aren't the charges that we're discussing and use it against them. Do you know who would agree with you? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> well, and that's why we're kindred spirits. <laughs> that's why we celebrate her. But I mean, the the government's argument is saying that they're not relitigating the issue. Well, they are, I guess, in theory, relitigating the issue at a lower standard of proof because they're just at the, the, the judge's job in federal sentencing is, is it more likely than not that they did some horrible thing? So you may say, Oh, you know, he um, he uh, kicked a puppy or whatever, and he never got he didn't even get arrested for it. But if you have a person, you, you have credible evidence introduced at sentencing and the judge goes, yeah, I believe it's more likely than not that he did that. So I'm going to take that into consideration. The fact that the facts came out at a trial, the standing current Supreme Court jurisprudence says just because the facts came out at a trial that he was acquitted of the conduct doesn't mean that we can't still look at those facts because we could look at facts that stu- on stuff you did that was never tried. But on a gut level, and I think on an equitable public policy question of we want juries to decide whether people have done things beyond reasonable doubt and we want people to get sentenced for things that they've been decided to have done by juries or judges beyond a reasonable doubt. We don't want rogue federal judges. And, and this is a fascinating case, but where you're going to see this way more often is in drug cases. So you're, mm-hmm. there's a, a, a famous case where the guy had a small amount of drugs and he was it was cocaine, I believe, and he was charged with possession of that. And then he was also charged with a larger amount of cocaine with the intent to distribute, which is federal. So then he's convicted only on the small amount of possession, but not the larger amount. But then in a separate trial, he's then convicted for intent to distribute, which holds a longer sentence than the simple possession. So you're going to see this. This is a fascinating, weird case. And like for the families, it's awesome that this guy got life in prison because that's what he should have gotten if, in fact, he had done it. But where you're going to see it, like a lot of these cases, you're going to see or a lot of these questionable, icky, gut level uh, kind of uh, legal loopholes is it's going to be applied to primarily uh, black and brown defendants and primarily drug drug charges. Mm -hmm. And so this happens to be uh, kind of an interesting set of facts and very true crimey podcast related, you know, kind of a story. But this acquitted conduct sentencing has been attacked by tons of, uh, you know, people that are fighting for, you know, the constitutionality of it, because you ask yourself, do you want exactly what you said? They they haven't been convicted. Why are they getting sentenced based Mm -hmm. on stuff they haven't been convicted of? And the Supreme Court says, because we're allowed to. Sure. But that but it's doesn't like, make it right. Exactly. Just because you're 100%. Just because you're allowed to doesn't make it right. And that's what dissents often say in these cases of, I understand that the jurisprudence says we can do this, but I still feel really icky and I think the court should change its standard and this is not right. Do you agree with that? Uh, I agree that it is under current 
Supreme Court jurisprudence that it is allowable and constitutional. I don't think that it's equitable. I don't think that it's I think it empowers federal judges almost beyond their grasp, beyond the grasp that they should have. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So just again, it should be reformed. Yeah, I think so. I think and it's going to take a case going back to the Supreme Court and having and I, I feel like Kavanaugh and Gorsuch actually have written about how they're against it. So just depending on how uh, old new uh, Amy Coney Barrett or other people, you know, if another case can get up there, it may. Uh, and I believe Clarence Thomas is against it as well. So it's where you've seen and, and you know that they're against it based on either questioning mm-hmm. during oral arguments or cases that they've uh, dissented on or whatever. So, yeah, so we may see some some type of reform, but it, it's weird because at a gut level, you're it's a good thing in this case. Yeah, but. If you're um, the defendant, it's not a good thing. No, you're like, and what then the like, hell? what if you really? What if they really were innocent? Exactly. That's the problem. Is like when you put someone away for life for murder, you want it to be beyond a reasonable doubt. You're putting someone away for life for conspiracy to, you know, leave town and possess a firearm because they committed a murder. Mm-hmm. It's like how it's very because you think they did. Correct. They weren't Beyond. found guilty by the jury that yes. that's supposed to, who who we've all agreed, that's who finds the, them guilty. Yes. You're deciding, nah, the jury got it wrong, everybody got it wrong, I'm going to now take over. And do you want a federal judge, many of whom that have been appointed the last four years who are woefully underqualified, mm-hmm. uh, to, be, to have that power? No, and I then don't. They have that power and then you appeal it and no matter what appellate court you appeal it to, they're going to go... Look at the Supreme Court. They've already mm-hmm. said this is fine. Sorry. Nah. Yeah. Affirmed. So it's like, oh, God. <laughs> it's going to take an appellate court. So it's like, so I'm trying to think, somebody in like the Ninth Circuit or maybe the Seventh Circuit. I'm trying to think of more um, criminal justice reform, a little bit more liberally circuits yeah. <laughs> to appeal it and have them say, we think that it's time for this to get changed. Wow. That's fascinating. That's yeah. Really it's is. crazy. It that is. you don't. And again, people say, oh, it's double jeopardy. And it's not because you're not being tried for the same no, thing but it's you're just almost being like found guilty for a crime you already said you weren't guilty of yeah and it's i guess it's, it's almost no trial like that's sentencing. The, it'd almost be better if there was another trial yeah for sure to, yeah. Uh, with those higher burden of proof standards mm-hmm. well lombard first appealed his conviction in 1995 but on remand to the lower court the judge imposed life imprisonment again in october of 96 lombard appealed again claiming his rights were violated by the lower court since he was never convicted of the murders used to determine his sentence. Like we just said. On December 4th, 1996, Lombard's sentence was affirmed once again. Supreme Court precedent and federal sentencing guidelines permitted the judge in Lombard's case to use, quote, all relevant information, including the murders. The court admitted this could seem unfair to the public, agreeing that a practice is constitutional does not make it wise. That's laughable because you're flat out saying, we know this is fucked up, but we did it anyways. <laughs> and and again, you, time and again, I think that, that it gets tricky when you're a lawyer or a judge or somebody that says, well, that's just how we've always done it. It's like, there's a lot of things we yeah, all, quote, yeah. always did that were very bad yes. and harmful. And that we're trying to actively change to so, be better, a better society and a better world. So I think this should get added to that docket. Well, you should high five Chuck Grassley and Dick Durbin, who in 2019 uh, put a bill before the Senate 
asking to change sentencing guidelines so that if a person has been acquitted of a crime, then those facts can't be used in sentencing. Bring them on. Love to high five them. Let me know where they're at. I, we'll do a, an <laughs> virtual, elbow, a virtual we'll high five. Uh, yeah. yeah. Two years after his sentence, on February 5th, 1998, Henry Lombard died by suicide in his cell at a Rhode Island prison. He was 35 years old. In a statement to the Bangor Daily News, Lombard's father stated the prison officials informed him that there was drugs in his urine. That's not right. How do you get drugs in federal prison? U.S. Marshal John Leeton told the Bangor Daily News, This is an apparent suicide. The senior Lombard insisted, If everything isn't right as it should be, I'm going to request an independent autopsy. I want to make sure they aren't covering up anything. There have been no further updates if this autopsy was carried out. Um... How do you get drugs in federal prison? Uh, very easily. I'm, My answer would be it's not hard. Very no. easily do you you get them? Yeah. Not I've never mm. been to federal prison, but uh, yeah, it, they're they're all over the place. Yeah, there's there's ways. Yes, for sure. In 2014, Hubert Hartley found himself in trouble with the law once again when he was charged with two counts of criminal liability for conduct of another. Charges that stemmed from crimes his nephew. Terrence Hartley committed, according to News Center Maine. Even though Terrence pleaded guilty to breaking into Janice's home, Hartley's ex-wife, in 2013, and beating her and her boyfriend repeatedly with a metal baseball bat, prosecutors argued that Hartley orchestrated the violent attack against his ex-wife because he was angry with her for leaving him. Yeah, apparently there were text messages and the GPS was that he used to track her mm-hmm. car was attached to his cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she had even said... You're going to kill me on the stand said this and said, he said, oh, I'm not going to kill you. Somebody else will. I love Mm -hmm. you too much to kill you. I mean, it was very threatening. She said they were married for 15 years and that he was very violent and abusive during that time. And she was scared of him and everything. Sinisterhood will be right back. Upon pleading guilty, Terrence was sentenced to four, seven and a half to 15 year state prison sentences and two felony counts of burglary, and two felony counts of first-degree assault in March of 2014. Two years later, a jury found Hubert Hartley not guilty of being an accomplice to the crime. To this day, Hartley walks the streets a free man. What do we say about old John Meese in the last episode? Mm -hmm. He took the deal, and it was a good deal. I think eventually Hartley served two years in federal prison and three years probation from the federal charge. So mm-hmm. he was even, I mean, he barely did two years. No, for multiple crimes, including arguably murder. Yes. Some type of involvement in yes. a murder. <laughs> so what do we think? Who do you think r- killed killed Lindsay and Martin? I believe that Hartley's confession, though it was uh, procured in unconstitutional ways, kind of tells the story that and it's because it, it lines up with Tammy's initial statement, too, was that mm-hmm. uh, um, Hubert Hartley beat Buddy Martin and then possibly shot him. And then Lombard shot Paul Lindsay for no reason other than he was a witness. And that's mm. what Tammy saw happen. She saw from the stair hole that one did one and one did the other. And his confession, Hartley said, I was pissed at him. I beat him up. And. He doesn't say I shot him, but I'm imagining either that or he beat him. And then to be sure, Lombard shot both of them, you know, shot one and then shot Mm -hmm. the other because a gunshot or even beating somebody is going to wake up Paul Lindsay. And the only person to whom Paul Lindsay had any kind of 
loyalty was Buddy Martin. Like, that was his friend. That's why he was there. He knew the other guys, but he specifically came to stay with Buddy to his friend. So you're both sleeping on the couch. You wake up and your buddy, your friend's getting his beaten up. You're going to try to jump in. And obviously, Lombard's going to jump in to stop it. So I think the most consistent story we have is that Hartley killed Buddy Martin and Lombard killed Paul Lindsay Mm -hmm. and that Tammy witnessed it happen and then Hartley was willing to confess to that and then it got it just was a series of unfortunate bungles that led them to be acquitted yeah yeah I agree and I even read something that Hartley had said or uh, it was Hartley or Lombard maybe Tammy said that she heard them say he's still breathing yeah and so you know I think that Hartley easily could have beat Buddy Martin because he's pissed off that he thinks he's hitting on his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, what do we do now? We can't take him to a hospital like this. He's practically mm-hmm. dead, but he's not dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to shoot him. And then, like you said, Paul Lindsay's just a witness to the whole thing and wrong place, wrong time. Bystander. And they had their guns out in Lombard, had a, a temper. They, you know, everybody painted this whole good brother, bad brother of like, Hubert was the nicest. He was a Boy Scout. He was super sweet. But then you see later, he's got some kind of temper with the wife. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, who knows? Who knows what the... And then they also took his money. It was the money just a byproduct that they shot him in the face and said, go and look in his pants. I think he had some cash in there. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, cool. Now we each get 80 bucks, like, or what? minus whatever he spent on the 12 pack and the ham. Minus so, the dollar they gave to the 20 month old. Yeah, they were how generous. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the most consistent story is that one did one and one did the other. And then, and then in a later case in Maine, that this one was cited because there was a, another, it was a murder of a couple different people by two guys and the state said oh no we're trying them together because Mm. we don't want a hartley lombard situation of one testifies one way and one testifies the other and the people said the defendant said oh we're gonna appeal it up and the state's attorney said go ahead and try because based on that case the supreme court the main supreme court is not gonna let that happen they're not gonna let grant that because you see the uh the outcome that happened here Yep, and hopefully um, this case is also a reminder that if a uh, someone you're interrogating asks for an attorney, stop what you're doing and get it. Yes, let them have their attorney and mm-hmm. just use other types of evidence. Otherwise, you're going to really, really screw the pooch because then that that confession tape was used to let to get Lombard off. So yeah. it's like you have the existence of something that's not only useless to your trial, but completely detrimental to your your trying to convict the other guy. And you and, have a murderer walking free on the streets to this day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and it tells us all, you know, you think, I don't know what all these lawmakers are talking about. What the, you know, who cares what Dick Durbin's up there talking about, acquitted conduct, sentencing, yada, yada. You see it actually has an impact. Yeah. That... And not just in this case where maybe it was for the better, I mean, kind of justice, but is that, do you think that's equitable, giving a federal judge that much power? Yeah. I'm going to say no. That's I think, my official I think stance. Not. I think not. That's yeah. why I always used to ask my students at the law school of like, what do you think on a gut level? Because I think that tells you a lot about equity. I think most mm-hmm. people have a good moral compass. And I think it's really easy as a lawyer, a law student to go, but the Supreme Court said it was constitutional. That doesn't matter. That doesn't make it uh, that something is constitutional does not make it wise. And I think in this case, it's unwise. Yep. Even if something's always been done and that's what we all uh, adhere to, it takes one person standing up and saying, no, this needs to be changed. And that's Mm -hmm. how 
big changes are made. Mm-hmm. And and by one mighty voice being joined by a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye out for one uh, candle. For what is that? One candle lights all the other candles, and then pretty soon you got a fire. That's you five, pretty 5, sure 000, that's how that quote goes. <laughs> five thousand candles in the wind for a little Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) We sincerely hope that you, um, however you're celebrating this year, as it looks a little different, have a wonderful holiday and can find some things to be thankful for. And at the very least, be thankful for all those delicious sides that you're going to (laughs) indulge in. Yes, which are the best part. Paris got a Popeye's Cajun turkey, so I'm excited. It's my first one. I'll tell you what. Popeye's Cajun mashed potatoes are the bomb. Oh, are they? Okay. All they, right. All they right. Ha- you can get their mashed potatoes with like the sauce they put in it that has like crawfish and it's kind of spicy. It's like their gravy, basically. Oh, damn. Girl, you got to have a Popeye's Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's what you need. <laughs> Well, I'm very thankful for all the mail we've been getting. Yes, I uh, I love mail if it's fun stuff. Yes. <laughs> I want to put myself, though, on whatever I need. I'll sign whatever if it's like I no longer receive applications for credit cards. Good God. Or really anything that can just be emailed to me or that I yeah. can find online on my insurance's website or something. Like, I don't I do. need I get- any of that stuff. Home warranty, oh, window gosh. repair, window washing. I'm like, I can't. No. And I get uh, like the mailers for, it's almost like a church that the people that lived here before me mm. went to. Mm-hmm. And then I looked it up and I don't think it's a church. I think it's some sort of... Uh, Nexium. Oh, goodness. It was like some type of organization. So I throw those straight in the trash. Sometimes I'll leave through them, depending. I get a lot of uh, American Girl magazines. Oh, very nice. I'm pretty sure a child did not live here before me. Uh oh. (laughs) Just a a creepy doll collector. Or like Angela in the office who buys her clothes (laughs) in the American doll section. It's a very petite woman. Just a tiny lady with little, she loves tiny sweaters. (laughs) But we have been getting some fun mail, which is the only kind of mail anybody should get from some very nice listeners. I am thrilled about my new sloth mask. And I got a dog one. Yes, and yours is so cute too. At Charlie's Big Ideas on Etsy was so nice to send us these handmade uh, masks. And I love that they sit away from your face and have a very sturdy wire in the nose bridge. So it's not going anywhere. I can't stand lint, mask lint on my lips because I wear a lot of chapstick. Mm-hmm. So when the I get it all over my face and these sit kind of away from your face, which I really like. I'm like a wide talker. I feel like my I gesticulate with my mouth a lot, so masks always fall off when oh, I talk yeah, that's through a, them. That's and this one's like it holds it right on your nose, mm-hmm. and so and then it's like it said, like you said, it sets away from your face because I just don't like breathing on myself that much. Mm, same. So thank you, Charlie. We really appreciate our lovely masks and uh, the the unusual needle. Tasha Renelli on uh, Etsy also sent us some beautiful Brianna Taylor note cards featuring some of her embroidery work and it is they're very beautiful and they're pre-addressed to uh, and we can send them off to legislators to hopefully do some action so they're very wonderful yes she's awesome something else that uh, was very wonderful oh my god (laughs) what a day oh i we have talked we talked years ago jokingly 
but not really jokingly about how mm-hmm. the only reason we wanted to get into podcasting was so we would get free pizza sent to us. Mm-hmm. Correct. It's finally happened, you guys. <laughs> Our scam is complete. <laughs> the amazing people at Luminati's in Chicago overnighted us some deep dish pizzas because they recently came out with a gluten-free one, did they not? And so you got yes. some gluten-free ones. Mine were glutened up, which I love. <laughs> I <laughs> love. I, I asked for extra gluten. Oh, my gosh. They were so good. I can't well, stop uh, thinking about people, them. People, they all messaged and said, oh, is that the sausage crust? And apparently they were making crust out of sausage that was gluten-free. But this is not sausage crust. This is bread mm-hmm. crust, like deep dish bread crust. And it was, oh, man, it was sausage gone. I just crust had, is, uh, I'd like to try, though. I wouldn't turn that I down. I would love to try a sausage crust. But, yeah, it's so good. Oh, that was so good. Oh, just yeah. hot and gooey and delicious. So Shoshan, Rachel, Kyle. God, yes. you guys made our lives. Yes, thank you also for the cute t-shirt and spatula, too. I'll tell you what, we made the spinach one with the intention to save the cheese. And about halfway through that spinach, Tommy was like, you want me to go ahead and put the cheese in the oven? It's <laughs> a good husband. No, I was <laughs> Very like, good. yep, uh, sure do. So, so good. So, yes, thank you, everyone. That um, We're very thankful with the Thanksgiving holiday approaching. For such amazing listeners that send us stuff and just support the show in the in whatever way you support. We uh we love you guys. We couldn't do this without you. Yeah, and if you want to show your thanks to somebody else or yourself, you gotta practice self-gratitude that you show up every day and you be the best you. We have our 2020 limited edition tumblers that if you head to sinisterhood.com, it's right up at the top. And you can order them from High Proof Designs, which is a local handcrafted artisan. They they laser things and wood burn things and all kinds of stuff. And it has art by Day Off, Jude Sutton, who has designed some amazing stickers and t-shirts and stuff for Donna us. Donna Laser. He did the Donna Laser t-shirt. He's brilliant. All the He's stuff great. he makes He's is also perfect. my um, husband's best friend. So go support and him. And he co-streamer uh, on Soup's Cash. So it's yep. all connected. It is. Um, so, yeah, so head to sinisterhood.com and check out the tumblers up top. And if you want something autographed, it's lasered on there. So the autographs will never fade, just lasers. like I love for you. Lasers. lasers. <laughs> also, check out our new website because it's brand new. I don't think we've yeah. talked about that since on on here, at least. We plugged nope. it on social media, but we have a very spiffy, beautiful new website designed by the wonderful Chelsea Perry. And, um, yeah, it looks great. So and there's an FAQ. I already was able to send someone to the FAQ. They're like, what kind of podcasting equipment do you use? And how would you recommend having a successful mm-hmm. podcast? I was like, boom, got your back. Have some FAQs. Here's the FAQ. Yes. So, uh, yes. Um, check out all things um, on our new website. There's all sorts of fun information there, including who we are and a little bit about ourselves. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating this show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including some fun new additions we'll be rotating in with our mix bags to bring you fresh weekly content like The Wheel. Mm-hmm. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, 
or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also be hopping on occasionally and hosting monthly Q&As where you can ask us all your burning questions. Next one is scheduled for November 28th at 2 p.m. Central Time. Can't wait to see y'all. And for our patrons not in the U.S., you also have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of a conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit our brand new spiffy website, Sinisterhood.com, and click Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. We've recently added some new cozy designs. We have a tote bag, some socks, and it's a great place to shop for winter weather. We have hoodies and beanies. So if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop along the top banner. We also have a link on our page to buy the 2020 limited edition tumblers. We're only taking orders for the next two weeks. So make sure to get in and get your orders in so they'll ship to you by the holidays. Perfect holiday gift. And if you get one or you give one, please take a picture because we would love to see all of the Christmas decorations, Hanukkah decorations, Kwanzaa, whatever your bag is. Festivus. (laughs) Festivus, nothing at all. Uh, And what you're putting in them, too. Yeah. They're big. They hold a lot. So 30 ounces. (laughs) The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood Christy. I'm on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I'm on Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Tierney Skoblik. Lexi Bonner. Mish. Laura Marks. Shauna C. Lindsay Grimes. Alyssa, Nalima Pinaparetti, Amber Vaughn, Aaron Frank, Kelly Jepson, Tara Hardy, Cassidy Reinhardt, Amanda Hansen, Caitlin McAleese, Sophie Higham, Sandy Parkinson, Botanical Designs, Roxanne Michaud, Sarah Kuklish, Shelby Orr, Tamara Edwards, Sarah, Maddie, Jess Roberts, Vanessa Renee, Maggie Farrington, and Mariah Ivy. Thank you guys so much for your support. We sincerely appreciate it, especially during these trying times. Happy Thanksgiving. We hope you have a great holiday. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. <laughs>